Yo, what is up? This is Cheers to Beers, the Seattle Beer School podcast. I'm your host, Jess Keller-Poole, and I will be joined by my co-host, Shauna Cormier, here in a minute when we dive into our interview, which was a great one, with author and beer expert Mark Dredge. This episode is leading up to the release of a Vietnamese-style lager by Lowercase Brewing here in Seattle, one with the name that matches this episode, Bia Hoi. So how we basically got onto the subject is that uh, John over at Lowercase collaborated on this Vietnamese-style lager with Mark Dredge as he wrote a book called A Brief History of Lager that details not only the history of lager, but his travels and his experience all over the world drinking lager. And one of the most interesting and unique chapters, and I think he expresses one of his favorite places to go, is North Vietnam. There he had this type of lager that he hadn't experienced anywhere else, and we do get into the details, so I'm not going to say too much right now. But basically, John read that book, was inspired, contacted Mark. They'd known each other previously and kind of collaborated on the recipe to see where it would go. And here we are now drinking Biahoy and talking with Mark. And as always, hanging out with Lowercase. I have Mark's website linked in the bio of this episode, so you can check out where he sells his books. He also has a ton of educational information on there. He's also a beer educator, like Shauna and I are. So some really cool resources, some flavor wheels that he's worked on. We talk a little bit about that. So make sure to check that out, as well as his socials linked in the description as well. And speaking of socials, do you follow Seattle Beer School on Instagram? Because you should. Um, we also have a TikTok at Seattle Beer School. You can follow me at Just Just Beer, and you can follow Shauna at A Young Billy Crystal. Also, keep an eye out for some events happening soon with Seattle Beer School. Maybe a little cheese and beer situation. You know, keep your eye out. Keep your eye out. All right, enough housekeeping. Talk up top. Let's get into it, shall we? This episode, we are talking about German loggers with an English accent, the French colonization of Vietnam, and how that led to lager brewing there, as well as vegan chicken nuggets and our live review of the Biahoy by Lowercase that you are able to get now if you're in the Seattle area. And hopefully, maybe you listen to this episode through the Spotify link on the side of the can. So grab yourself a rice lager, Vietnamese lager if you can find one, and join us. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on your Friday night. Of course. I don't do anything on Friday nights. It's fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> does that, neither do I. We don't either. Yeah. Like, this is normal. Like, this is more exciting than what I would be doing otherwise. So yeah, I'm Excellent. happy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me something to do. Oh, yeah. Yes, we're so excited <laughs> to chat. John from Lowercase, he dropped off some mystery bombers to us. Okay. Um. With there's like a note a specialty on it. note yeah yeah there's a note on it he wants us to taste it before reading what's in the note i'm assuming oh, it's the cool. v- i'm assuming it's the vietnamese lager <laughs> like alice in wonderland or something yeah it's like drink me and you're like um yeah <laughs> i think i've been taught not to do that we're going on a but, but since it's john and i can't think of like a sweeter person in the world um <laughs> someone i could i trust so um here we go. I, I'm going to open up. Jess already opened theirs and tried hers. Yeah. Okay. So this is in the moment tasting. Oh, I'm excited. I can drink it. I'm so many thousands of miles away that I'm... Uh, actually, I'm like the midpoint between Seattle and Hanoi. There you I'm go. Sitting in, the, yeah. sitting in the south of England in the middle of middle of nowhere. <laughs> but I'll open a beer while there. Yeah, what here. are you drinking? What are you opening yours? So I've got a British lager from one of my favorite UK breweries called Utopian. 
um they're really cool so it's like a traditionally german trained brewer um he's canadian germany trained in germany brews in the uk and they brew completely traditionally so they brew to the german lager brewing book so decoction mashes all of that um and they brew all the styles like the full range of styles german czech all of that um but only british ingredients which for me is really cool that is so it's this nice sustainability story so they're using you know things like goldings and target in their in their lagers they're using um some of the modern hoppy some of the modern hops we've got like jester and Ernest in their pilsner so they're they're showcasing these super traditional techniques with ingredients that wouldn't normally be used in them and yeah they're great oh that's so cool yeah and i almost feel like that hyper local ingredient thing it's definitely a trend in the u.s too and i'm kind of seeing it more and more actually the brewery i work for just released uh what we're calling a washington pilsner because all the ingredients are from washington state um so it's kind of fun to see that and see like how that can change across states in the u.s across countries around the world it's a pretty cool concept yeah absolutely and you know so much of lager is process driven more so than ingredient driven you know it's uh it's the cleanest for most for most of the styles it's like the cleanest most neutral beer there is so to get to that flavor it's all about using the right processes which is so, cool right yeah, like, so important yeah in that like process you get to taste like the true essence of some of these ingredients right which is really cool like especially if you're doing hyper local or like regional specific ingredients right that way you're like oh wow like i can really taste the target <laughs> or like very english like english malts or whatever um where otherwise you could kind of get not lost in it but like it's a cool way of like showcasing it yeah and it's like to me that i guess the good way of describing it is it like it gives these lagers an english accent you know they are (laughs) that is a good way to completely german but they have they speak with an english you know this this (laughs) this accent to it can you imagine someone speaking german with an english accent that would be hilarious (laughs) oh can't is that possible i mean just like It's like Josh, like our uh, my husband has a book. It's like written in double speak, so it makes you think it's written in German, but it's not. It's just like <laughs> it's called Der Wizard in Ozerland, <laughs> and <laughs> you open it and it's like telling stories in like fake German. So when you're reading it, you're like, I can speak German. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm a fluent. German speak. I'm fluent, but it's just nonsense. So that's probably how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my general experience whenever I go to Germany. I'm like, yeah, I understand what's going on. I understand what's happening. But really, that's that's what is in my head. Like, Ex- I'm speaking just half words. Exactly. They're not, they're, no, they're not sentences. I'm hearing, you know, every third word and trying to understand what's going on. Oh but yeah, but having a great time. <laughs> uh, there's this viral clip going around right now of Tom Holland, the actor who's been playing Spider-Man, um, who's British. And he's doing, like, a press interview. And he's like, I can understand Spanish to an extent. And then the interviewer's like, ¿Cuántos años tienes? And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, and it's like a super basic sentence. He's like, never mind. <laughs> oh my God. That's like me and when I went to France. I was like, I learned like enough, just enough for like pleasantries and manners. Like to be able to order and like not be a horrible American. And the one phrase I learned that I used all the time and it worked was, Désolé, je suis American. Which is like, I'm sorry, I'm an American. <laughs> oh, that's what that means? <laughs> yes. 
and everyone would go given for everything they'd go it's okay and like <laughs> if, you know whatever but same experience like i i was like i understand french and i was like no i don't i have no idea what's happening <laughs> How's the beer? Tell me. Tell me how the beer is. Yeah, Shana, you know, I want your thoughts. It's funny because as soon as I opened it, I smelled, it was like malt before mm. anything. And like the first thing, and it could just be my glass, it had like kind of like a chalky smell. I feel like that's interesting because my first whiff, I felt like it was super floral. Oh, I also do have a cold. Um, not to make that's excuses true. for myself, but I normally don't sound this sexy. So I'm just <laughs> warning you. <laughs> That's what's going on. And I don't know what's in it, so I'm excited to learn. But it's, like, super, like, uh, smooth. The bitterness is low, but probably higher than it, I would imagine it would be. But not having that beer ever before in my life, I have no idea. Um, it has a kind of a Keller beer sort of character to it. You know what I mean? It's a little green, but, like, in a pleasant way. I'm assuming yeah. that's because it's not done yet. If if we're right, and this is the Vietnamese lager, um, I pretty he just pulled it off the tank and threw it into some bottles. So hmm. I imagine it's like still conditioning. Right. I don't know if there's rice in it or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was. It tastes like rice to me. Yeah. And then almost like a cordy quality, but I could just be imagining that because it reminds me a little bit of like if Budweiser was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if it had character. I mean, you know, there's a time and place for you know, American loggers that have character. Um, is there though? I just said that, but is there? <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was in California for Christmas or around Christmas, um, my stepdad was drinking Budweiser and I was like, it has been so long since I've had a Budweiser. A Bud Heavy? A decent amount a Bud Heavy, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, I'm going to taste this like I'm judging. And it was like decent, it's just hilarious to me that they call it a pilsner. I'm like, this is American adjunct lager. This is not pilsner. But it surprised me. It like coming at it at more of like an educational, studious view. I was like, okay, I kind of get it. Well, if nothing, if Budweiser doesn't have anything going for it, it's that it is essentially perfectly made. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's no like, like there's no what room Mark for flaws. was just saying. Yeah, it's about the process. It's about the cleanliness, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's an amazing beer. You know, it's um, I wanted to. This is for a different project. I was writing about, um, essentially trying to find the best beer in the world. So I was like, okay, well, I need to make the argument that it's the best selling beer in the world, mm -hmm. um, or at least the best selling beer in America. Um, so I went to try and learn as much as I could. So I went to St. Louis. I had tours around. I spent, you know, I was drinking it. Um, high gravity from the tank, you know, got to do all of that, had all the experiences with it. And the takeaway from it was that it's the most perfect beer because it's always exactly the same. And it's always exactly what they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main thing. It's always incredibly precise. That's The way that it tastes is the way that they want it to taste. And it's very hard to get that. They hit that bullseye every time. And it's an incredible... Um, it's an incredible thing to have got to that place where they can do that and they can replicate that around the world. Yeah. It's pretty, you're, I mean, that's right. Like, you know, we can hate on it for just being, uh, you know, a gigantic corporation that's, you know, eating up little guys, but like that beer is perfect because like I can, the processes that you, they have in place, like it's insane. Right. And you know, firsthand from trying it off the tank and like, 
all your experience with it, but like, I, I don't think I've ever had a Budweiser and been like, this is off. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. And I think it's, that's interesting too, because it is an incredible feat to have gone to there. I think from my perspective, um, especially I actually just taught like a little longer class to the bartenders that work at my brewery. And I think going through history, American history specifically with just the intensity of capitalism, um, it's like, it's just homogenization, which is bothersome to me. Cause I'm like, oh, you're just creating one flavor that now every, that's what's expected. And that's what people are getting. I call it the McDonald's effect because it's the same thing as McDonald's. A Big Mac tastes the same, no matter where you are at McDonald's. Yeah. So it's like, it's bothers me because of that but i'm also like from the process from production pretty impressive yeah it's amazing um if ever i have to walk away i might just hide the camera but i'm listening and just have a little one that's making some noise so i'm just gonna go check on her <laughs> yeah for sure um when shauna comes back i think we'll reveal what these notes are from john at lowercase oh I, yeah cool I'm just assuming we're right <laughs> on what we're talking about. <laughs> um, that would but, make sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think before we get into that, because we, you wrote a book called um, A Brief History of Lager, and there's so much in there, a huge in-depth research, especially of the birth of lager in Germany, but then these smaller chapters towards the end of lager across the world. And so we're going to specifically be talking about your trips to Vietnam. My first question is, how do you pronounce this beer slash um, the place that you're drinking it? <laughs> um, beer Hoi. Beer Hoi. Okay. Beer Hoi. Yeah, so Beer Hoi. Um, it means like, well, beer is beer. And Hoi is sort of a derivative of like draft or fresh. So it comes from that. So you have Beer Toy, which is bottled beer out there but beer hoy is the is the draft and it's this unique um kind of it's not so much a style it's more sort of where you drink it and it's the thing that you drink when you are there so it's the name of the place and the name of the beer that you're having i guess it's the name of the experience overall that's so cool it's cool yeah. it's just it's beer like it like the, it's like trans you know what i mean like it is <laughs> beer like it's not it's it, it, it it's nothing else it's just like i mean an actual beer hoy like it translates mm -hmm. like it says sounds the same to english speaker than it does <laughs> right. it was vietnamese yeah and i mean that's the french influence isn't it you know so much of the vietnamese language certainly the things which were introduced into um, vietnam by the french the, the the words come from come from the french in that chapter and then you mentioned pho was just the translation from French word for soup. I was like, oh my God, that blew my mind. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I guess it makes sense with all the colonization and imperial French imperialism that was <laughs> happening over there. Well, yeah. And you know, it's funny when you look at the um a beer label out there. When I was talking to John about this beer, I was looking um kind of on the beer Hanoi, beer, beer Hoi Hanoi website to get some more information. It's all Vietnamese, so I can't I can't read it. Um but when you look at the ingredients, you've got you know, the words for water, the words for malt, and they're all in Vietnamese. But then the word for hops is the same word as it is in French. So it's literally the French word. Huh. So it's, you know, it's, I can't remember what that is now, but, but yeah, it's literally the French word. I have a question about the, the French introducing. So the French came, were they, was it a colony of the, did the French colonize? 
that at least the, attempting right, it was a to. French colony, right? For, for yeah, a basically, the French ran it for yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the history is so complex, and um, you know, I think the Vietnamese have only really owned Vietnam since you know the end of the American War, the end of the Vietnamese War. Mm-hmm. So since like 1975, and it's just completely changed ownership so many times. But yeah, the French were the French were massive there. And if you go to Hanoi, which is in the north, is the capital city. It has these amazing French villas, and it still has this old French grandeur about it. Um, same in the south as well. Actually, there are certain massive hotels that you can still go to, which mm-hmm. are you know like it's kind of like Graham Greene. You know, it's kind of this American modern American fiction. It's all set there comes from this wonderful place but yeah this whole infrastructure was was kind of essentially developed there by the by the french not necessarily in a good way but it's left a lot of good things yeah yeah the hops essentially <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. well they took right. beer there i mean that's the most important thing <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> when it all comes down to it you're like ah yeah you know a bunch of white people taking over the world but at least <laughs> they introduced hops <laughs> exactly they gave us beer yeah I, I was rereading i was kind of going over my notes earlier and Bruin got there pretty early, really, for the rest of the world. So you know, the the, the way that Bruin could spread was because of what well, the way that lager brewing could spread could only happen when it was colder or when you could have artificial refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So the reason we didn't have beer being brewed in places like India or Brazil or lager beer being brewed there was because you couldn't make it cold, so it just wasn't very good. But you you see that lager got to Vietnam and lager brewing got to Vietnam really early in in the history of of lager brewing um and that was french the french engineers kind of taking it over there and brewing it for themselves they weren't that wasn't the drink for the locals it was mm-hmm. kind of in the imperialist imperialistic way you're brewing what you want to have yourself um it's not to the locals taste they don't want it they can't afford it yeah that was an interesting part in the book too i'm um, talking about how at first it for the vietnamese people they're like this is too better can't drink it and then eventually got to and it was too expensive and then eventually got to this place where palettes adjusted i'm sure recipes adjusted and then now at this place well i don't know if this is still current but having like your allotment your of <laughs> how much beer you get to have and then it's like okay great now this is our collective space and it doesn't matter what class you are it doesn't matter who you are in society because we're all going to the same place to sit on these stools <laughs> and drink beer yeah and it's a very controlled thing and before we before we jump onto that like that story of the the story of the french taking beer to vietnam it's exactly the same thing that happened in the us with the germans taking their beer over there like they took their lager brewing processes they brewed their beer but it was too sweet it was too heavy and until they started brewing it lighter and they still they started adding these adjuncts and then still culture changed and work changed and people moved to the cities and they didn't want to just drink whiskey all the time until that happened people in america didn't drink lager so it's exactly the same story that happened in in vietnam happened in in the u.s and that's what made lager the the drink of the u.s um or beer you know that's how beer became part of the the palate yeah absolutely yeah, that wasn't that was an aside but yeah your point about how it was in vietnam is, is amazing and this is one of the things i i learned which really was eye-opening and fascinating to me was that it was government controlled essentially so it was kind of like rationing. You could, you got a token. There were only certain bars that had this beer on sale. It was in the morning, probably or overnight. Maybe it was like midnight. The beer was taken from the tank in the brewery, filled into these old kegs, which were most were more like casks, like gravity casks. So rudimentary. We're not talking like you know 
carbonated beer. You know, no draft system. No, absolutely not. Yeah, nothing like that at all. And still today there isn't, not for the beer hoy. Um, but that's just driven by cyclo, cyclo drivers. So guys on almost like um, a bike, but with uh, like a trailer on the back. Mm-hmm. They drop the keg off, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. The bar opens at 10. Everyone has a token, two tokens. When the keg is empty, that's it. They shut until the next day when the next keg got delivered. And it was a way of this one kind of this control. But two, it gave these people who were not frontline in the in the war, it gave them a small amount of pleasure, you know, a small amount of socialization, a small amount of you know, this one thing that actually could take them out of their home, away from their work and give and kind of bring people together again. It, this kind of mobilized people in a, in a new way, in a different way, encourage people, I suppose. Yeah, it's such a good example of fear um, influencing community. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and like why I was drawn to beer and why a lot of people are, I think, is this communal sort of, it's just like a, it's a small thing, right? Like we're not talking like some fancy, very like ornate experience. Like I'm going to go drink a very fresh 3% ABV beer with a couple of my friends. And like, I know that at least I'll have that every day. Yes, you know, and it kind of like translates to, I mean, it's not at all akin to like what was happening in like Vietnam, but like, at least, you know, that at the end of the day, no matter, you know, you got COVID or you got this going on with your job or this going on in the world that, Hey, at least I can open a beer at the end of the day, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's universal. It's been there for, for a very long time. And that's the the thing that I love about beer more than anything else is that it, it brings us together in a way like no other, no other drink, you know, the, the simple phrase, let's go for a beer. It's so open and welcoming and it doesn't mean what it really means. It doesn't mean let's go and drink four beers and get a bit drunk. It means let's hang out. Let's just, you know, let's forget everything else and just go and talk about whatever we want to talk about. True. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we go further into um, talk about Vietnam and Bia Hoi, I do want to reveal these tasting notes mm-hmm. that we have from John. Oh yeah, let's do that. Um, I'm all like, what's going on? Where are we? I'm just going to read it directly. Um, not fully carbed yet, probably 2.2 out of 2.5. He wants a softer carb level. He, so I don't know who's writing this. He wants a softer carb level than usual, 2.5 rather than 2.7. More bitter than a typical international pale, uh, 23 IBUs. More hoppy aromatically as well. Came out of the sample port, which usually spits a little yeast. Uh, mm-hmm. 20% puffed Thai jasmine rice. The rest is Wireman... Vireman extra pale Pilsner malts, even lighter than the typical uh, Pilsner malt from them. All Hallertau Middlefra, a 60 minute and a. I don't know what that says. Yes. Maybe. Um, Yeah, WP um, is where it veers from a typical international uh, pale lager, in my opinion. So I don't know if this is John writing this or Chris writing this, but some very detailed (laughs) information on it. I just love it. Um, but yeah, that see, that was so interesting about like, so yes, more hops than you would normally find in this style. Um, so I thought it was interesting that it is like a noble hop because I was like, immediately I was like floral herbal, um, and then the puffed rice, which is interesting. I don't know what like the difference is for like puffed rice versus non puffed rice. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it's tasting great. And I'm super excited for when this comes out. (laughs) So you don't have to, you don't do like a cereal mash. Cool. 
that makes it a lot easier. Usually on the it means like it's already ready for you to be able to utilize. Like, you know what I mean? It's already unlocked. So you don't have to like do that step. Yeah. It's made it all easier. Yeah. John and I talked back and forwards about rice and I think he drove around like Vietnamese supermarkets. He was going to all these wholesalers like trying oh, to find Vietnamese him. rice. Like he was doing, he went to, you know, a lot of effort and he was like, I found this rice, this rice, this rice. And overall, I think this ultimately the Thai rice is going to be the best option for us because of this. It was amazing. It was such a fun project actually to have um, to have a say in. It was fantastic. Yeah. So you guys actually like he's so great with yeah. that. You guys actually like did some collaboration on the recipe development. Yeah, exactly. So he John came to me. He said, I've read this chapter in your book. I love the story of it. I'm inspired by that story to then brew that kind of beer, which to me is amazing. The fact that I can write a, you know, write a few hundred or thousand, couple of thousand words in a book and it makes someone want to recreate that thing. Exactly. And that's one of the beauties of beer as well. You know, we can't physically travel very easily at the moment. Um, you know, I can't go to Vietnam and, and drink a beer hoy or eat the food that I would eat out there. But I can go into my kitchen and I can recreate those dishes as much as I possibly can. Maybe not so much the beer, but I can re recreate those things. And that's what's wonderful about it. Um, but yeah, so he came to me and he's like, how does this sound for, a, you know, one, do you, are you up for that? Do you want to help out? I was like, yeah, hell yeah, of course I do. Um, my favorite type of beer, I'll do whatever I can. If anyone, someone wants to brew beer, hoy, I am 100% in. Um, and then he was, we were just kind of going backwards and forwards about, you know, tell me about the hoppiness of it. Tell me about the character. Tell me about mouthfeel. Tell me about aroma. Tell me bitterness. So it's kind of describing all of these things and they it's kind of translated into, um, yeah, the recipe that, that we've got. Yeah, super yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's it tastes great. I mean, it's really cool. It kind of like you know, um, I enjoyed your book. It was great. So thanks for writing it. Uh, no, but <laughs> it's so funny that that section. And I remember when I read it, I told Jess about it. I was like, the beer hoy part. I was like, dude, like, do you know anything about this? And we both were like, no, we have no idea. And I found that part the most thrilling. Which obviously, you said it's your favorite place to drink in the world. Yeah. So you could tell it translated to that because I was just like. <laughs> I want to go there right now and I want to experience this. I mean, I want to go to all the places that you went, but that specific part, because it's just seemed so yeah, communal and like uh, the beer itself is, seems welcoming. Also like a sort of tradition that I don't think exists. It probably exists in other parts of the world, but not to the degree that, that I knew about. I didn't know that that was a thing that people mm. were drinking. Yeah. We have cask beer here. We do like, Keller beers and stuff like that but this is like a whole other thing and it's like so cool yeah yeah, yeah it's completely different and it's really hard to, to put into us what it is and what it means it's just it's just what they do that's just how that's just where they drink and it's it's now hyper local to Hanoi so it's now it used to be around the country but now it's only in Hanoi mm. and it seems to be that it's disappearing a bit you know it's is it's not necessarily what the 20 year olds want to go and drink it's not the cool thing and maybe that will come around you know, maybe they'll start thinking, oh, actually, you know, my dad or my granddad did this. So maybe I should do that too. Mm. And I hope it does because this is, it, it really is a unique culture. It's, you know, kind of similar to like Zoigel beer culture, like these real like pockets, which are super isolated and localized and, and traditional. And it needs these people to, to carry them on. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I remember from reading about the Biohoys, it was like they're like kind of family run. Like it's like the 
folks who own it down below is the actual like bar slash outdoor patio area and then they live upstairs like it it does seem like pretty familial yeah and i think i mean that's just kind of part of the the culture there as well you know a lot of the houses are they're very small very kind of cramped together but it's quite common that the downstairs front part of a house in the old town of hanoi would be your shop front so whatever you do whether you make fur or whether you do have fruit and vegetables whether whatever you do you have a beer hoy that's kind of a function of your of your house and i suppose if you don't want to do that you could then turn that into into your actual house and kind of close it off and just have it as an extra room but for so many people it, it is like that um and i guess it's that accessibility to it and i think that's the most thing most important thing about this beer this is this is one of the least exciting beers flavor wise because it, and it's the most everyday kind of beer and i think when you when you think about the everyday kinds of beer everywhere in the world not a single one of them is exciting Every single one of them is just the most normal beer that you can find. But it's the most pleasing beer. You know, it's so simple, so easy drinking, no barriers to entry of it. It's just this nice, easygoing, affordable beer. And it's still like that in, in Vietnam. And that's what makes it so important and necessary, I think. It's almost like um, white bread, like sliced yeah. white bread. Like you're like, okay, like who cares? But like... Having a grilled cheese on like normal white bread mm. is like yeah. the American cheese. Like that's a, a very American thing. But like, you know what I mean? Just slice white bread though. You're like, I guess I'll take a slice of that. It sounds great. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think then it becomes a little bit more of what its purpose is, what its function is versus the actual product itself it's serving a greater purpose than it being like, oh, you know, it's easy for us because we work in beer, we do beer education, we're so into analyzing it. But for the majority of people who are drinking beer across the world, it serves its purpose as I got off work, I'm a laborer, I'm working class, or even not working class. Um, and this is what I'm looking forward to at the end of the day. This is going to actually help regulate my nervous system a little bit <laughs> by having a pint after work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've seen it more in Vietnam than anywhere else or in Hanoi that how important this the, the shared drinking spaces are. You know, a lot of people have a local pub or a local bar, particularly, you know, people, maybe people who love beer like us, we might be very, um, very likely to go to a different place every time or go to two or three bars in a night. But actually here, the idea of having that local and having that one place that you always go is much more part of of the culture um and it definitely is much more older guys there's not that many kind of females there not that many younger people there it's the older guys but that's their that's what they do at the end of their day and you know, it's a and it's a really important part of that you know they i think it, for the people that i've spoken to and the stories that i've heard it would be very unusual for someone to take bottles of beer home and drink them at home it's mm. just not what you do mm -hmm. you know if you're going to have a beer, you go out to the beer hoy or you go out to the bar or you go to the restaurant. Um, and always it's with food. So this is the other thing about it, which is interesting. Now, the culture is not that you go out and you drink six beers and then you stumble home. It's you go out, you order a beer and a snack and then another beer and another snack. Um, or you have a table that's just covered in different plates and you're just picking at things. It's very communal in that way. 
Yeah, that one popular snack you were mentioning, the tofu with the like fermented <laughs> shrimp paste. I was like, I don't yeah. know what this is, but I want it. It sounds yeah. delightful. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. That was um yeah, that was a fun lunch. It was almost like a test, I felt. These these Vietnamese guys are <laughs> mm-hmm. like if you don't want this one, there's another one for you, English man. I was like, okay, <laughs> some I crackers this. for you. Yeah, exactly. Some ready salted. Um, this has some like saltines for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the most, it's like a boiled potato. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those. It's like a super pungent flavor, you know. Yeah. And I just, I think I described it like blue cheese and anchovies and garlic are like all mushed together, like intense oh umami, yeah. but it's so yeah. good. That's uh, right. I have a quick. I have a quick question. I don't want to uh, get us off topic. So it's on topic, but um, can you remind us of the timeline of Beer Hoy? Like when it started, like, you know, becoming a thing or like, I know that the beer was brought over by the French kind of early on, like the lagering tradition, but just like mm-hmm. maybe more of like the um, maybe more modern sort of timeline. Yeah. So I guess if you go to... I do like jump from to the beginning. It was like late 1800s, like beer came over, brewing the North, brewing the South. Beginning in the 1920s, it become a bit more like formalized, become a bit more sort of modernized. And the breweries started getting bigger, particularly the one in the North. So it had much, um, much more of a lagering capacity. And we know that they were brewing lagers definitely from like 1920s. When the French left, they basically kind of knocked the breweries down. So they got rid of it. Motherfuckers. Then a, yeah, I know, right? I'll, I'm, so I'm, I'll, I'll see you later. I'm taking my brewery with me. Like, come on, be cool. Um, right. But then the Czechs come over. So there was this like shared communism link. And That's right. the yeah. Czechs came over and they taught um, the Vietnamese how to brew. And actually, as an aside, of this aside, the most authentic Czech tasting beer that I had I had tasted before Czech beer became cool was in Vietnam because huh, cool. they were taught how to brew this. They had these these kits to do it on. And actually they built essentially these like temples to Pilsner Urquell out there. Like <laughs> if you shut my eyes, I used to work for Pilsner Urquell, so I know these places really well like, in Czech. Mm-hmm. If you used to like shut my eyes and, and drop me into this bar, I'd be like, oh cool, I'm in Prague. But you're not. You're wow. in you're in Hanoi. It's unbelievable. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. Um but anyway, that was like 1950s. But there's this, there's a lot of little brew pubs that brewed really classic Czech tasting beer, like this other weird part of Czech, of Vietnamese beer culture. Um, mm. But it was during the during the war, so towards the end of the war, so like 1970s, I think. I don't have an exact date of when like the first beer was was, but like it was ni- probably ni- early 1970s. But it's become kind of integral to the culture ever since then. And really, from what I heard from what it was like, it really hasn't changed that much. Certainly in the smaller, more backstreet places, like there are some places trying to make it bigger or trying to serve it maybe a bit better. But the reality is it's still served and drunk in the same way that it had been, you know, decades before. And it's essentially like a gravity keg, right? Like they're, it's just like a keg and they have like a tube, right? <laughs> just the way you're describing it, like, or please yeah. just describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's mad So. I've been to Hanoi four times now and the fourth time was when I was doing the proper research for the, for the lager book and all the other times I was like, how are they doing this? Like what, what is in there? Because a lot of the times you kind of almost see like a big metal drum or like a, 
um, imagine like a really rudimentary fridge. It's just like a metal container mm-hmm. and beer's coming out of it. So I'm like, is that just beer in there like slopping around? Like, how's it like, what's going on? Other times mm-hmm. you just see like these battered old kegs, like really bashed up. But essentially, yeah, it's a, it looks like a, a steel keg, but well, it's a steel keg. Um, but there's no like coupler attachment to it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's only very loosely um, like sealed and, and carbonated. Um, some are going to have like little taps that pour the beer out. But really the tap is doing nothing different to a hose pipe. So it really is just coming out and the beer is, is being poured out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen it, I've seen all sorts of different ways of doing it. But sometimes they just um, hold the tap, hold the hose pipe upright. So there was one they would just like plug it into a gap like above, um, like above where the, the entry point or exit point of the keg. And they would just take out the hose pipe, pour it, and the beer would, beer would just come out. That's funny. Like it's so rudimentary. And then the other times there was like one place I went had loads of kegs just in a big cold room. So um, well, by cold room, it was sort of a fridge, but wasn't, had no, had, had no power. But instead, it had lots of blocks of ice and bags of ice in there to try and keep the beer cold. Hmm. Um, and it really, it really varied. You know, there was another one I went to, um, and the person who owned the bar it, again, it was a fridge that wasn't plugged in, but it was filled with water and salt, like salt water, to keep it cold. And the keg was just in there, almost as like it's having a, like a house party, and someone's just got their bathtub, <laughs> and the, you know, they've got their cans in there. Right. So it's like that. It's like yeah, That's it's cool. funny. Actually, yeah, it's amazing how they do it and. I mean, it is. It couldn't be more basic in how they're in how they're serving it, and and that, that to me is one of the most fascinating things about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have seen the label for the beer. Have you no, seen what no. it looks like? Okay, so it's cool. So when John was talking to me, he was like, "I'm really inspired by like travel notebooks and um, you know, travel photos and things like that." And I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, all the time I'm there, I've been writing notes. So I must have some things that I've written. And there was one book in particular, one notebook that I had, and I opened it up and I was like, oh my God, it's the most perfect page because I've doodled on it. I've like drawn a bowl of noodles. I've drawn a beer. I've written like um, the equivalent of cheers in Vietnamese. And it's almost ineligible. Like it's so scruffy, my writing. But I just sent him a picture. um, And that's basically now the beer label. So you've got this brilliant like yellow can, but with my notebook on it. and the reason I'm telling this story is because I was reading back over it. And I was like, well, I better check that I've not written anything bad or offensive or, <laughs> right? you know, just wrong. So I was like, yeah. oh, shit, I'm gonna, I need to like edit myself on uh, on my notes that I made like five years ago. Just all uh, wait it out. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, John, can you just like change that bit? Um, but there was one bit on there and I remember it so clearly now. And my girlfriend and I were walking around the town and we were just having a few beers, you know, because the beers are small, it's maybe like 10 or 12 ounces. They're so cheap, like less than 50 cents per glass. So crazy oh, cheap. Um, and and it's low alcohol. So you feel like you could literally drink it like it's water. And I, whenever I'm there, I'm like, well, I'm going to try and drink as many as I possibly can and try and find the best. Like, why why, why wouldn't I do that? That seems like the exact thing I want to do when I'm mm-hmm. in this in this town. Um, but we were walking through one part and it was exactly as I described earlier, this this small section of the front of someone's house and it was just this old old lady there maybe 60 70 she just had one keg and there were two old men just sitting in the back like smoking not talking just like sipping their beer um and it was the cheapest beer i'd ever seen in vietnam so i was like we're stopping here 
we are having a beer. So it would have been, it was like 6,000 dong, which is something like 30 cents. So I was like, oh yeah, okay, we're having a bit. So crazy, it's so cheap. It's insane, it's insane. And th- th- this is just like her private enterprise that, that she's doing. So she's obviously profitable with that. Um, but anyway, we sat down, we both poured a beer out and it was fine, it was nice. You know, These beers are very variable. That's one of the things you discover about Beer Hoy is that there are great ones and then there's most other things. And you, you know, there's lots of fermentation character in these. Some of them sure. are more buttery, like diastyle everywhere, lots of esters. But sometimes you get super clean ones. This was one of the ones that was like, meh, I can see why it's the cheap one. But she poured out beer for us. And then the next guy came over, asked for a beer. She took the hose pipe out. This was just one of those places with a hose pipe coming out. And the beer didn't pour. So she sucked to the end of the hose pipe that the beer was coming out of. And then that started pouring. If you're cleaning like a fish tank, it was exactly like that. And she just poured it into his glass and then put it back into the put it back into the keg again. I was like, oh no, I don't think we're gonna have a second one here. Oh wow. <laughs> I love that. That is such good imagery. Like I've never been to Vietnam, but I feel like I can see this. She's just like, God damn it, not this again. And she's all yeah, just like <laughs> sucking, sucking it. The beer up. <laughs> it's just like such like a character. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really funny. And and, and this it brought back that memory when I read these notes and the label and if you see that or when you see the label on the on the right hand side of the page it's called Viet Ha it's just Viet Ha um and then there's some notes there and you can just about make out my writings like she like sucked the suck the hose pipe and then put it back <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> can we just see that um I have a question so you're talking about this more traditional style of Via Hoi um with these just single kegs, gravity style, varying, and you're talking about it kind of going away a little bit. What is replacing that for people who are drinking beer in Vietnam? Yeah, good question. I think it's more recognized brands. So if you're having a beer hoi, it's not like you're drinking a Tiger beer or an Asahi or a Heineken, a Carlsberg, Budweiser, whatever it is it's kind of without brand and if it's without brand it's without um value in a way um what's the right word for it i can't think of something my time but it'll come to me but there's um it's seen as the cheap thing whereas a bottled lager that says tiger on it or something like that is seen as the more normal now it's seen as maybe more trusted more it has a greater value certainly to the younger people um and it's still it's still cheap anyway it's not like you're then paying 10 times the amount for it you know it's still it's still very affordable um as a drink but yeah i think part of the culture is this look at me look at what i'm doing look at look at what i'm achieving look how successful i am and there is none of that in a beer hoy but there absolutely is in a nice tiger or the craft beer bars or a cocktail and craft beer in Vietnam is amazing. I've written cool. about that a few times. It's some, for me, it's one of the most exciting places because, well, the, the beers are just really good. So you get some really interesting beers. Um, lots of them use local ingredients, which I love as well. So a lot of the time you have, you know, my favorite over there is a passion fruit, like wheat ale, like the most most refreshing thing you can possibly ever possibly drink. And it's so good. Um, like jasmine IPAs um pomelo ipas stouts with like local chocolate in bit of vanilla coffee 
Wow. Um, so you have this really cool culture for it. Expensive, and it's and it's seen as Western. And I think that's mm. maybe another part of it which is appealing. You know, again, as the as the younger generation grow up, perhaps the appealing thing is to have the American experience as to, as opposed to like the the local experience, the the experience that your grandfather had. Yeah, and I wonder if some of it is like, you no, know, as we more and more people, you know, we grow up and the world seems smaller and smaller and smaller and we're all connecting via this, the internet and like virtually, like you then want to experience things from other countries um, just because you're like, oh, I can't travel there, but I know this person from Vietnam that I met through blah, blah, blah. So I'll try this or whatever. Um, and something like beer hoy, so then you have to be there to enjoy mm -hmm. it. You can't bottle that experience, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, and it, I mean, if I could do it, I would go and drink beer hoy now. I'd go, I'd go tomorrow if there was a kind of an authentic experience of it. But also, I don't know if there would be. It'd be really, really hard to replicate something like that. Um, yeah, but it, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next with with beer hoy. You know, and I'm talking this, you know, the white guy sitting in England trying to protect this drink that's been around for decades <laughs> like it's my own like like it's my own drink um but yeah to yeah. me it just it's just something that I really resonate with and, and love as an experience absolutely yeah, yeah Jess and I were talking about this and we're like I'm sure you know some um Vietnamese people that you've met in your travels and we're like it would have been really cool to talk to someone who maybe grew up with this mm. you know what I mean like it'd be difficult um, cause there might be, I don't speak, um, the language, uh, but it would be so cool to hear their perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's every time I've spoken to people out there about it, I think that where I've always struggled is they find it really hard to describe because it's so normal. Mm, right, so yeah. if they asked you like, you know, I don't know what's like, what's it like going to the candy store or like something that you do like every day, like, what's it like drinking Budweiser and eating French fries. It's like, well, I don't know. I can't really describe that. Like you asked me, like describe a perfect cup of tea. I'm like, well, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know if I could do that because yeah, what about coffee? Yeah, like your morning cup of coffee. You're like, I just drink it. Yeah, yeah. it's so normal that it's not worth worrying about. When people don't, they don't add that uh, kind of um, nostalgia necessarily to it. Very cool. Well, um, I guess we have to go to Vietnam now. <laughs> let's next next uh, flight available. Let's go. <laughs> I feel like it's been so tough with the pandemic because it's like already wanting to go places. And now it's like, we're spending all of our time working with Seattle beer school and researching these. And the last person we interviewed was uh, in Germany. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, I just want to travel so bad. <laughs> and I would, like I don't have the money and I don't have the ability to do it right now. Oh, oh it's so happen. frustrating. I really miss it. I'm actually, I say the last time I traveled was, um, like 23 months ago. So I haven't been anywhere. Um, yeah. I've been in the UK a little bit, but not outside of the UK. But I'm yeah. going to the Czech Republic on Monday and I can't <gasps> wait. Ah, you've been before. Yeah. yeah, I've been to the Czech Republic loads. Um, yeah. So, But it's nice that that's going to be somewhere that, uh, one, I'm quite familiar with. So mm. I'm quite comfortable being there. So it's quite nice that that's my first stop. But then I also get to have these kind of these new experiences while I'm out there. So yeah, I can't wait to just go and drink and be, you know, be in this new place again and kind of just have those amazing mugs of Czech lager. Ugh. Oh, nothing beats to, that. 
Yeah, you're gonna have to send us pictures with very detailed notes. Yeah, and just <laughs> just photos of just foam. That's all I want is just like yes. extreme close ups of foam. It's like foam porn. It's just like <laughs> my husband's like, "What are you looking at?" And I'm like, "Nothing." <laughs> yeah, don't look. <laughs> Just like just cups of foam. That's that's just all I look at. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah. Foam and like the lacing on the glasses. That's all I want to see. Oh. Like, the before and after. That's the right. only lace I give a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. sorry, sorry, Mark. This is, this is, oh no, you, you go ahead. <laughs> the uh, the best the, one of the best bits of advice I ever I ever got about beer was in the Czech Republic, and it was to do with the the lacing on the glass. And it was this drinker, and he said. When you go into a bar, if you want to know if that bar is really good or not, don't look at the full glasses, look at the empty ones. Because if the empty ones have got that lace in all the way down it, you know that that beer is good, it's being served well, and the glass is as clean as it can be. So yeah, look at the, look at the empty glasses. That's right, such that's a good, great that's advice. That's such a good piece of advice. It's so good. Um, so uh, kind of diverting from our chat on Vietnam, um, you also do some beer education and you actually sent over some uh, flavor wheels that you've done incredibly mm-hmm. detailed. Mm-hmm. And so cool. one of my favorite ones was like fermentation flavor, because I feel like it's mm. so common to see hop and malt flavor wheels, but obviously yeast and fermentation is hugely important in beer as well. Um, so I thought that was just I'm like, wait, why haven't I seen this before? <laughs> you know? Um, and then also you allow space in your wheels to talk about off flavors as well, mm-hmm. which is just mm-hmm. as important to know what you should be tasting versus what you shouldn't be tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do that in development with someone or was that just you? Yeah. So the story begins quite a long time ago and I was writing a book and thought this beer flavor will, you know, the, the original old one, like didn't really mean anything to me and it confused me more than it kind of guided me. Mm-hmm. So just out of curiosity, I was like, can I make one that works more for a drinker and a consumer? Um, and I did it. It took me ages. Like I just remember just lying on my like living room floor, just like drawing around plates with a ruler and then just trying <laughs> to put great. the words in. Like it was, it was, it was, it was kind of silly, but, um, but it worked <laughs> out. It was, it was nice, but that was like 10 years ago almost. So I thought, well, now's a good time to have another go at it you know it was lockdown I had less work on um, and I just had this curiosity to see if I was to redo it what it what the wheels would be like and I did a general wheel and I was like well do you know what that's nice but this is much more reductive than it could be and I didn't want to make a wheel that had 5,000 words on it but I wanted to go a bit further so then I started working on the hop specific wheel then the malt specific wheel, and I was like well I can't not do yeast um so i spoke to yakima chief hops i spoke to lalamond yeast and i spoke to crisp malt and i spoke to them and i was like can we work on this together you know you've got your expertise you've got your sensory you've got your way of talking about this already can you like fact check what i'm doing can you sense check it can you can you share your lexicons and how you're talking about it and can we produce this new educational tool or tools together to create something that's really useful. And, you know, I wanted this to be something that is as useful in kind of a brewery's sensory kind of department as it is to someone working behind a bar to just someone who likes beer at home. And they're like, I can't quite find find the word. So, yeah, it was, uh, it's was it been a really fun fun project to, to work on those. The fermentation one was the hardest one, I think. 
Oh, I bet. You know, because like that's kind of like when you're learning vocabulary, right? And you're like, the depending on what kind of beer you like. Like if you're into IPAs, then you can learn hop sort of vocabulary quicker or malt comes. But esters and fermentation character is like a little, you know, it's harder to grasp because hmm. it's hard to kind of pinpoint. And you're right, like finding the right vocabulary. And I agree with you, the flavor wheel, when I first started learning, I was just like, what is this? And it was confusing <laughs> to me, even though it's not supposed to be. So these made it like, like looking through them, I'm like, oh, this is the way a wheel's supposed to work. <laughs> cool. Oh, good. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was good fun. You know, fermentation is, I think it's that under appreciated flavor or character in every beer. Every mm-hmm. single beer that we drink has this fermentation character somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Some it's really evident and it's the kind of the, the first flavor that we get. Maybe it's like a Hefeweizen or something. But even in every every lager that we have, like if you took out any fermentation character, it would be like, what's what's missing in this? It would be like the shading <laughs> right. has gone on the, on your picture. Your 3D image has gone 2D. Like mm-hmm. it's it's so integral, even though you don't notice in 99% of the beers or 90% of the beers. It's so important. And kind of the thing which made it click for me was hazy IPAs, you know, these New England IPAs mm. and how much of that aroma is actually yeast driven or come in somewhere through fermentation, biotransformation, whatever it is, you know, some of these deeper background fruitiness, almost like it's almost like fruitiness that fills in the gaps between the mm. hot fruitiness. Great to be like really generically just sweet candy, but it does a really important job. Yeah, it's like the backdrop, right? Like mm. a canvas almost like, you know, like there's different types of canvases. So it's like, I mean, I'm not an artist, obviously, but mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, it's you're right. It, that's a really good way of putting it. It's like it does, it fill, fills in these gaps. Like that's mm. a really good way of putting it, I think. Yeah. And if it's too much, then it becomes jarring and um, unwelcome. But if you get it just right, then it does so much to like plump up this fruitiness that's in there naturally. And I think mm-hmm. that's what was one of the joys of the style is when you get that real like fresh, fleshy, juicy fruits. And that yeah. that yeast is is given that. But yeah, est- describing esters is one of the hardest things for me. It's and tough. It's, yeah. it's really difficult. Like hop flavors can be quite obvious. Yeah. And some yeast characters can be. But the thing which kind of crystallized a bit in my mind a while ago was that most esters don't taste like the thing that you are told that it tastes like so banana the isolamyl acetate we all know that that's banana or we're all told that that's banana but i've never once eaten a banana and thought oh this smells like isolamyl acetate totally it smells like banana candy or banana flavoring yeah the same with like acetaldehyde like that doesn't to me that doesn't taste like apple or doesn't smell like apple but it does smell like a chemical version of of that. And I don't know whether that's like a reverse engineering, reverse thinking. It's like, well, this apple flavored thing is flavored with this acetaldehyde. So I know it from that. But it's, I imagine it has to be. Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. And the same as all of those, all of those things. Those chemicals have, are used to create that flavor. But to me, that's where esters have become more recognizable to me now is that if it's a fruit that doesn't smell like the actual fruit, or something yes. like that. I'm like, oh, okay. That's maybe not, that's maybe coming from something that's not the grain or the hop. 
Yeah, it does. Take, it takes like it does take like years of training yourself to figure that out, especially with off flavors, right? Because you're right. Yeah. Like, oftentimes they tell you, "Oh, it it's like latex paint," and you're like, "Uh, okay, I don't really have a lot of experience with latex paint, so I have to figure out what it is to me." Yeah. Um, same thing with acetaldehyde. I was like, "What? No, it's not really." <laughs> like green apple to me it's more like freshly cut pumpkin or like you know there's other things but you're right it just takes all this like developing your own vocabulary and people get scared to say what they're experiencing because they don't want to be wrong mm. right so it's like yeah so that's why these wheels are really helpful because you're like oh, okay this get, guides you so you can at least talk about it and figure out what it means to you yeah exactly and that's one of the things i've been really keen to stress with these is that like this isn't like the wheels don't end and, and the and the line that encloses them like that encourages you to go to the next part. Like it says lemon, but I just wrote a story about this on, on the website. It's like, I could drink a Pilsner, a triple, a double IPA, a whip beer, and I could taste lemon in all of those. And mm -hmm. the lemon is an accurate description for all of those styles. But the lemon I get in the Pilsner is not going to be the same type as the double IPA or the whip beer. So it's like, okay, I smell citrus, I smell lemon what kind is it like what what mm -hmm. comes next and that's where we can kind of use our own experiences because you know flavor is so unique to everybody you know the lemon meringue pie that i know might not be the same lemon meringue pie that you know mm -hmm. so it's this completely unique experience that and hopefully the wills guide you to making it evocative and true to to your tastes but oh, it's, I love it's about finding that I love that you just said that because it's so funny because every time Jess and I do class, we like, we talk about like being in the moment and like finding your own truth within the beer, right? And so mm. like, you're right, finding those, this helps guide you just so you can experience it fully in your own way. Mm. And like, why are we obsessed with describing it? I think mm. we're just obsessed with being in the moment and talking about our own, like the memories that come up from ex just drinking a beer which is cool. Mm -hmm. And then you could talk about similar experiences or different experiences. So it's just another way of communicating and having a wheel like this or like a flavor map or whatever you're going to use helps you all have like the same vocabulary. Otherwise you might mm -hmm. be speaking different languages. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like this, the, the idea of like the tip of the tongue thing, like you've got a word that's on the tip of your tongue and you can be, you can find it hard to get that word out, but you can find a similar word, a synonym to it. If it's not the exact word but we can't do that with the tip of the nose. It's like, <laughs> uh, like it smells like kind of like this. So there's no like synonyms for like, you know, cherry. It's like, it's not something else. So yeah. the connection between like smell and language, it's like, there's a big gap there. So it's really hard to train and really hard to get right. And so often, you know, it, it is really hard to smell and taste beers and, and then to put the words to it. So, if nothing else, I hope the world's, if you're just like stuck with a flavor, you know, often mm -hmm. you guys will know what it's like when you're doing a taste. And if you say this beer smells like pumpkin or this beer smells like fresh cut grass, there's a good chance that someone will then have that experience. So if someone looks at this wheel and they're like, well, I know it's kind of like spicy. What is it? If they go to the spicy section, they're like, uh, okay, yeah, it's cinnamon or it's cumin or whatever. So hopefully it then kind of puts the words in the, in the right place. Or then they're like, no, actually, maybe it's something else. And and then some, you know, finally they'll get it. It's like a jigsaw or like a, a journey to get to the right point. It's like when you have like a, a, a song stuck in your head or something. And you're like, what is that? What is that song? And like you're just Google searching. So it's like instead of it like helps you. It's just Google searching. It like at least 
narrows it down for you so you're not just like on the vast interweb trying to figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> Which is funny because trying to Google a song is like a nightmare because if you don't know the lyrics, you're just like, da 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 da. Like, <laughs> where are we supposed to go from there? <laughs> you're all beer, spicy. And it's just like, uh, the internet is just like, <laughs> like, help me out, dude. Do you mean uh, cayenne beer? <laughs> <laughs> um, Great. This has been such a fun conversation. I want to round this out with one last question. That's my favorite to ask um, a segment called drunchies, which is drunk munchies. And I think this could be a very interesting <laughs> question for you. I think just because you're so like well-traveled. So this could apply to your hometown drinking when you're just at home or could apply to your travels, but what are some go-to snacks that you like or some meals uh, once you've been drinking? Are we talking like while I'm drinking but drunk or are we talking like I've done the drinking, now I need to like eat? That's a done great the question. drinking, time to eat. <laughs> okay. Um, do you know, this is, it's a really good question. And I used to, <laughs> I used to always eat a McFlurry, which nice. is like, like <laughs> yeah. the worst thing. Like who gets really <laughs> drunk and then eats a McFlurry? Like, that's, that's a stupid. great idea. <laughs> It's like, what am I doing with this? Um, I've, for some reason, I have, I've kind of gotten rid of the habit of drunk snacking. And I oh, don't know, you. like, how I managed to do that or why. Um, the Maturity? most likely thing. Yeah, 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 maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I just eat too much. I just eat too much while I'm drinking. Um, the thing I'm most likely to do, actually, would be. So I'm vegetarian now. Um, but there's some amazing like vegan chicken nuggets and they're so close to the McDonald's ones. Um, so I would just put a whole bag of them in, um, look too much ketchup, loads and loads of ketchup. Um, and I would be very happy and I would, I would have the whole lot. I feel like I do the same thing. (laughs) I have some of the impossible, uh, chicken nuggets in my freezer right now. I have yet to try. So. I think nice. the corn, the corn brand with Q, oh, yeah. I don't know if you get those. In the yeah, UK. yeah, they're the ones. Yeah. Those are amazing. And yeah. I think I've done the same thing. I've been like, you just pour the whole bag. It's like enough for like five people. <laughs> Maybe it says like serving size. It's like 10 and you just eat the whole bag. Yeah. yeah. No. They are, they are great. And like for some weird reason, for like two or three different celebrations in a row or like events in a row. My girlfriend and I had corn chicken nuggets just at home. Like we was like one time we had champagne with just a bag of corn chicken nuggets. That's what I'm yes. talking about. Yeah. Yes. This was this was lunchtime as well, so that's even better. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why. It's just it's now uh, yeah, they're, they're just delicious. <laughs> You're just bragging now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um excellent. Do you wanna plug website, social handles, all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find me at beerdredge.com. Um, that's where the flavor wars are, and all my details will be on there. Um, my books are on there, all sorts of things. But yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I'm kind of hosting the the beer wars and the beer education stuff. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'll make sure to link that in the bio of this episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us um, across time. Um, like I said, your Friday night, uh, very much. Now I'm like all drinking beer and I've got the whole day in front of me. I'm like, oh, shit, what am I gonna do? <laughs> you know what you're um, gonna do. You're gonna eat some corn chicken nuggets. Yeah, well, I drink some more beer hoy. Yes, actually, that's something you would like find that as a snack in Vietnam. Like it comes with like this little uh, like sweet chili sauce almost. So, yeah. Oh yeah, 
you would have that. There's some killer snacks over there. What's cheers? In, um, um, Vietnamese? Mot hai ba yo. Isn't so it like one, one, two, three drink? Yeah, one, two, three drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I learned to count. Viet, I learned to count in Vietnamese once, um, and I learned how to get to ninety-nine. And I remember I was running around the park one day, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to see if I can remember doing this." And I literally just running laps, counting to into ninety-nine again and again <laughs> in Vietnamese. And I never learned one hundred, so I could oh. go to ninety-nine. <laughs> I, don't I don't think, think I could do it now. Yeah. No, you you could probably just go on a run. <laughs> <laughs> I could do the running part, but maybe not the counting. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to try lowercase um, be ahoy when it comes out. Um, and I I would try to replicate what you just said in Vietnamese, but I already forget what you said. So I'm going to say cheers. <laughs> I'm going to say well, one, cheers. two, three cheers, and you can say yeah. it right, Mark. Okay. Well, mot hai ba yo. Yo. Yay. <laughs> And it's very um, much about the show part because then you cheers and then you basically just drink it and then you get another one. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun. Thank you, Mark, so much. That was a Titan Cast episode.